Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Um, so as Al said, my name is Danielle, and I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. A bit, a bit shy, but it's okay, because we're speaking about courage, so hopefully I will walk into that. And um, I've been at Saint for a year now. It's been an absolutely amazing experience here. I love this community. And even in worship today, I was literally just overwhelmed by the goodness of God and what I think he's doing here. And I just think it's so palatable. And I just love being a part of this community. So we're going to be talking from Acts today. We're going to be talking about um, closing the book of Acts and what it means to be a people of courage. So we're going to turn to Acts 18. And what I hope that you will get from what I say today is that in sharing my story and in sharing everything I've been through, I hope you will learn an understanding that being a people of courage is not just about what you were going through, but it's also about who you were faced towards. And I believe that being a people of courage is so instrumental and is key to our DNA as believers. The word says that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of power, love, and of sound mind. So let's go to Acts 18, 1 to 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, the Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who had heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and nobody is going to attack you or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So Father God, I just pray that as we spend this time here together, Lord Father God, that we would learn what it means to be a people of courage. We would learn what it means to trust you, Lord Father God, and to set our face like flint when facing massive opposition, when facing things that seek to derail us and to take our joy and to take our peace, Lord Father God. I pray that we would learn today, Lord Father God, how it looks to walk with you and walk with community in courage. Amen. Um, I want to start with a story. I want to start with a person, actually, my favorite person. Her name is Yemisi. And you may be wondering who Yemisi is, but Yemisi is my mother. And she's an amazing person. And I think it's a bit weird, you know, I have a bit of an obsession with her, I'm not going to lie, but it just is what it is. And I hope my siblings aren't mad at it. 
And you may be wondering why I'm talking about Yemisi. Why am I on this platform and talking about my mum? And it's because when I was asked to be here today and when I was asked to talk about this subject of courage, I thought about the person that gave me courage, the person that through them sharing the word with me from such a young age helped me to have resilience and helped me to have confidence. And it was my mother. You see, my mum was widowed at 35 with three children, oldest being seven, youngest being one years old. And when I was going through massive, incredibly difficult situations at a young age, it was the words she sowed into me that are what I relied upon to keep going. And so this message today is essentially a bit of plagiarism because it's not really my words, it's the words of my mother and what she gave me. And you may be wondering why I needed so much courage. Why did I need so much strength to go through lots of situations? And it's because in 1996, I was born with sickle cell anemia, the world's most foremost and most lethal genetic blood disorder, according to the UN. It's given to us by our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers. It's also passed down through the male gene. I just like the sound of a matriarchy. And it is something that is incredibly lethal. It is is essentially something that means that my cells don't work. Instead of being round, they are sickle shape. And that means that it's just incredibly difficult to deal with. It's one of the most painful diseases in the world and it's ranked in the top 20 most painful conditions. And it has a terrible effect on people. I've met people that have had strokes at three years old and I've also met people that have had hip replacements at 25. It's dangerous because everywhere the blood goes in your body, it has the potential to go there and essentially wreak havoc. So sickle cell and me, how did sickle cell affect me? Well, at five years old, I had my first blood transfusion. And, you know, I like hospital, I'm not going to lie to you. I liked hospital. At five years old, children's hospital is pretty amazing, I'm not going to lie. Like, essentially, there's lions on the walls, there's playstations, and there was everything I wanted as a five-year-old. I was pretty okay to be there. And when I was in my Lion King phase, the lions on the wall, I had a crush on, you know, the Lion King. So let's just not talk about that, but I, I loved being there. And as I got older, my health got more challenging, essentially, and I would consistently need more blood. Um, I don't know how many bags of blood I've had in my entire life, but what I can tell you is when I counted in 2020, I received 53 bags of blood that year. When I counted in, 29, in 2021, I received 59 bags of blood that year. And last year, I didn't quite have the time to tally it up for you. But as you can tell, it's stacking up. I'm the healthiest I've been in a really long time. And I am now long past that. I have blood transfusions every five weeks just for me to be here and function as a normal person. So born with sickle cell, my health kind of became more complicated with time. It didn't really stop with just sickle cell. Um, in 2014, I was meant to sit my A-levels, and instead I was in hospital because I was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. So I was unable to sit them that year. But the following year came round and I was admitted to hospital again, and it was time to sit my A-levels, but this time defiantly, I said, come hell, come fire, I'm sitting those A-levels. But I was really challenged. It wasn't as easy as, well, I don't think anybody would think it was easy, but it was an extremely difficult period. 
And I went down that morning, it was the day of my A-levels, I went down to the hospital library and I went there to sit my exams with a level of immeasurable peace that was more than I could have ever comprehended or thought I would have. And that was because the day before, I had had an amazing experience and encounter with God. You see, I was sitting in my hospital bay. I was very upset. I was feeling overwhelmed and discouraged. And my pastor at the time, a beautiful man called Pastor Ray, came to my hospital and he prayed for me. And as he prayed for me and just spoke over me and I was really overwhelmed, he said to me that God would restore the years that the enemy had stolen. And as he said that, I heard God in a way that I could never have imagined I would have heard him. It was so audible, it was so loud. And he said to me that I should not be afraid and that everything I need to know, I know to sit my exams. And I had only revised two out of the up to 10 subjects for that history exam. So I was scared. I ran to the bathroom immediately and I called my mom, as you can tell, she's a key character in my life. And I called her and I said to her, look, I've heard God. And I don't know about you, maybe you would be really chill if you heard God, but I was very scared. I was like the author, the founder, and the finisher of my faith just spoke to me in my bed, in the hospital bay. I'm very concerned. So I said, look, mum, I heard God, but here's the problem. I haven't revised. And he told me not to revise anything else. And I was really worried that if I continue to read, I would be disobeying him. But my mum said that God is not out to trick me and that I should read what I can read. But if I feel a level of um, anxiety and if I don't feel peace, I should close the book and I should go to bed. So that's what I did. I went back to my bay. I sat on my bed and immediately I opened the textbook, I was anxious. So I closed it back up, I went to sleep and I walked the next morning down to go and sit my exams in the hospital library with my invigilator in my pajamas wearing slippers. And my invigilator took me there and as I sat that exam and as I opened that paper, the only two subjects I revised were what was there and I was overwhelmed with joy. And this experience really changed the way I perceive God when going through these hardships and when going through all of these different things. And by some measure, I don't know how it happened. Well, God happened, essentially. I got the grades I needed to go to Warwick University and to study law, despite the fact that I was on incredibly high-level painkillers. I was on morphine, and they had to whittle me off of it in order for me to sit my exams. I went to Warwick University, and I thought that that would be the end of that story, that my health would get better and I would have a great time at Warwick. But that wasn't the case. Unfortunately, my health became even more strenuous. In 2015, my first year of university, I had 12 hospital admissions. Um, and as time went on, they became more aggressive. By the time I finished in 2020, I had countless more. I had countless MRI scans, countless ECGs. I started a chemotherapy treatment, a biological treatment, an immunosuppressing treatment, and six weekly exchange blood transfusions. And I'm saying a lot of things at you and you may not know what they mean. So let me tell you about exchange blood transfusions because they're a bit disrespectful. Essentially, 80% of my blood is taken out of my body whilst 80% of donor blood is transfused into me at the same time. So what happened is a massive machine goes round, both your hands are out, and the needles are like taking and giving at the same time. And the thing that offends me the most is that 
when they're done with your blood, they, they throw it away in front of your face. Like, I don't know, like, I know my blood is problematic. I know it's diseased blood, but they literally take it and put it in a bin in front of your face. And it just feels really painful. It just feels like, I'm sorry, that was my life source, and this is a bit disrespectful. But um, yeah, they didn't like it, so that's fair enough. But whilst at Warwick, I just had a lot of different health challenges. I started with two chronic health conditions, sickle cell and IBD, and I left with a few more. And two of those diagnoses, I got less than a month before my final year exams. But to the glory of God, all this tribulation and hardship pushed me towards my call. I became an advocate. I did a TEDx talk, I spoke at Google and Facebook and numerous other events about sickle cell anemia and blood donation. I worked with NHS Give Blood on campaigns and I spoke about sickle cell on so many different forums and I was named a next generation trailblazer by the Duke and Duchess, Meghan and Harry. And you might be wondering, why I shared with you my story and what it means and its relevance to you, or the Book of Acts. And it's because when faced with opposition, one of the biggest things I learned about how to be a person of courage is that it does not matter what we are facing, but who we are faced towards. And that's the first thing, and that's the first point I wanna make to you today on how to be a people of courage. Who we are faced towards is far more important than who we are facing. So let's look at the book of Acts. Jesus doesn't just leave Paul in his discomfort when he is faced with his enemies. He says, do not be afraid for I am with you in verse 10. The place Paul gets his courage from is from being assured of the fact that God is with him in this moment of vulnerability when he's being persecuted, when there are things that are against him that are seeking to steal his joy, still seeking to steal his peace. He faces his direction towards God. And that's the same with Stephen in Acts 7. We see that whilst there is gnashing of teeth, and gnashing of teeth is something that occurs in hell. Stephen was encountering that when he was being abused for his faith. While there was gnashing of teeth and violence being spewed out to him, he directed his gaze towards God. Stephen directed his gaze towards heaven, and there he saw the glory of God. He saw heaven open and the Son of Man, Jesus seated with the Father. So courage is about facing your eyes towards God. And something my mum always says to me, this is where the plagiarism comes in, is set your face like flint towards Jerusalem. And that was the constant encouragement I got when I was going through my health challenges, when I was feeling discouraged and like I couldn't do it anymore. It was that word, set your face like flint towards Jerusalem. And that is what Stephen is doing and that is what Paul is doing with God. And the thing is, there is many different oppositions we face in our life. We do not live in a part of the world where we are being abused and berated for our faith. That may happen one day, but it's not happening right now. And we go through other things. There are different things of opposition that come against us. It could be your family. It could be your finances. It could be relationships. You may be feeling overwhelmed and undervalued with your team at work, and you may be feeling behind, but courage is fixing your eyes towards him, knowing that he is with you and he will do what he said he will do. So I just wanna remind you of that. And my second point is, it's not just about who you are faced towards, it is also about who you are surrounded by. 
When God spoke to Paul, he didn't just say to him, don't be afraid for I am with you. He said, do not be afraid. I have also given you others. What he says exactly in Acts 18 is, no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have people, many people in this city. And we are called to do this journey with community. And one of the most beautiful things I have seen whilst being at Saint is that community is something that can actually save lives. And I think God is really calling us to push further into community in this season. And I can just see as we were worshiping, as people were praying for each other, as people were standing with each other. I think God is calling us to go deeper with this. He's calling us to take up the cross together because we cannot do it alone. And being physically unwell constantly taught me this and it brought me to this realization. The fawn in my flesh that I had growing up was constantly reminding me that I was a human being and that I needed others for support. I learned very quickly that I had a limited capacity And we all have limited capacities in different ways. So we will need to stand and take courage with others. And one of my favorite quotes is from this book called A Streetcar Named Desire. And it's actually meant to be a negative thing, right? So Blanche is this character in the book that is quite codependent and she's meant to be needy. And she says that I have often relied upon the kindness of strangers. And I have taken that with me since I learned it at GCSE or A-level or something. I've taken that with me and I consistently say that to myself because I have relied upon the kindness of strangers. As somebody that has so many blood transfusions, I'm aware that for me to literally stand here, I have about 100 people living in my body. (laughs) Their blood is sustaining me. It is keeping me alive day by day. So I want us to know that even if we live in a society that says it's needy to ask for help, that you're doing the most by asking for help, asking for help is essential, and God calls us to be part of a community. And in saying this, I'm reminded by Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in Daniel. And this is a story I go back to all the time. It's a constant frame of reference for me and how I see things. Because in that passage, passage, as a unit, they were able to come together and go into the fire. They were able to come together in defiance to a God, a false God, and stand firm in their understanding of who God was. And I think that maybe if it was just one or two of them, that would be more difficult. But we know that in the word, it is constantly telling us that there is strength in gathering and that there is strength in being more than one. And as they went into that fire, it shows that we also don't just go into fire as a community. We go into fire as a community with a God that is also going to appear and be with us there. And I remember that fact, that song, there is another in the fire. As they go into the fire, they see Jesus. And that's not, this is Old Testament. A random man appears in the flames with them. And the people outside are like, who is this random man in the flames? So I think we need to understand that we have a God that is not going to desert us. We have a God that is, he may not be coming as physically, but his Holy Spirit is always going to be with us. When we are in community, when we are gathering, when we are doing things in his name, he is always with us. So at that point, let me just go back on that if you're taking notes. To be a people of courage, we need to exist in a community. What matters is not just who we are faced towards, but also who we are surrounded by. And to close, my last point is about who you are becoming. 
I found it really interesting as I was reading this text with Paul that this was not the first and it was not going to be the last time that he was sent out, as we see in Acts 23, 11. It says, The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. God keeps sending us out. We serve a God that is constantly trying to make us people that are different from everybody else, people that don't just look like the rest of the crowd. And what I have found is that God is calling us deeper and he is really concerned with our character, who we are becoming. Adversity pulls us from a head knowledge of God and I really experienced this when I was going through all these tribulations during my degree. There's a difference between knowing God in your head and knowing him in your heart, having an understanding that comes from an experience of intimacy with him. And adversity, through the fire of affliction, we move from a theoretical knowledge into a heart knowledge of who God is and his character towards us. And I go back to this verse often. It's in James 1, 2 to 4. And it says, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So Jesus is concerned with our character. Jesus wants us to grow in him as we go through these motions, as we go through these areas of life, of persecution. God is concerned about the person that you are becoming on the other side. He's concerned about whether we are being refined because God wants a refined people. He doesn't want a church that looks like every single body else that is doing the things that everybody else is doing. He wants a church that has character that is admirable. He wants the fruits of the spirits to be displaying in our daily act and that often comes through hardship and tribulation and another one of my favorite quotes and I think I really experienced this when I was in hospital doing my A-levels is by C.S. Lewis and it said God whispers to us in our pleasures he speaks to us in our conscience but he shouts to us in our pain and I feel like it's in the darkest periods of our lives where we get to move from that silence. We move from the pleasures. We move from just going through the motions to really hearing God in such a tangible way because he gets the opportunity to shout to us. And I think we can be really uncomfortable with those difficult times because we can feel that he's deserted us. But I think it's really important to know that in these moments we are being edified. We are being refined. And they remind us that he is our source. And as Paul was sent out again and again and again, it was almost like an opportunity for him to continue to come back to his source and continue to see where his power came from. Because it didn't come from anything that was within him. It became from God always talking to him, telling him, I'm taking you to the next level. I am with you. I've not forsaken you. Take courage because I have gone before you. And we serve a God that goes before us. He doesn't just send us into the desert by ourselves without any support without anything there he goes before us but he's concerned with who we are becoming on that journey 
And it's important to recognize that God speaks to us so differently. Some of us, God speaks too loudly, as he did with me and my story. It was audible. I wasn't able to deny his voice. But some of us, he speaks to through dreams, through worship, and through the word of God. And it's important to hold on to those moments and let them be the momentum that pushes you through these constant situations where we are being called to be a courageous and set apart people. So I just want to invite the band up as I move into ministry. I think I just want us to know today on this subject of courage that we are not alone in this. I want us to remember that we serve a God who has gone before us and the community is key. What we go through and how to be a courageous people is not just based on who we are facing, it's based on who we are surrounded by, and it's also based on who we are becoming. And being a courageous person in tough situations can feel very difficult, it can feel very isolating, we can feel that we have nothing left in the tank to give. And in those moments, it can be really easy to feel afraid but we have to remind ourselves to fix our eyes on Jesus. And one of the songs that kept me when I was going through extreme difficulty was this song called Defender. And it's one of my favorite songs and I have warred in my room with it many a time, screaming out to God, blubbering out to God with it. And I just wanna say these lyrics. It says, you go before I know that you have even gone to win my war. You come back with the head of my enemy. You come back and you call it my victory. And all I did was wait. All I did was worship. All I did was bow down. All I did was stay still. And hallelujah, you have saved me. It's so much better your way. Hallelujah, great defender. It's so much better your way. And later on in the song, some of the lyrics that constantly pulled at my heart was, when I thought I lost you, you knew where I left me. You reintroduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces and put them back together for you are the defender of my heart. And these lyrics to me have always encouraged me to be courageous in situations where I felt alone. It's reminded me that I have a defender, as Paul had a defender, as Stefan had a defender when he was facing persecution and obstacles and tribulations. We have a defender. We have a righteous and good God that is with us. And he goes before you know that he's gone to win your war. So I just want to pray for us to be a people of courage as I close today. Lord, Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for everything you have said to us today as we've read the book of Acts. Lord, Father God, we thank you for this time together in this series, Father. And we just pray that as we leave today, we would walk out with a new perspective of you and who you are and that you are a God that does not leave us nor forsake us. And Father God, I pray that we would have courage to follow you in spirit and in truth, even when we are going through difficulties. Father God, I pray that we would fix our eyes on you. We would know that you are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And we would face you with everything we have, with all of our heart, Lord Father God. But I also pray that we would be in community, that we would join groups, Lord Father God, of community. And Father God, I pray that we would know that we are becoming who you want us to be on this journey, in this life. Father God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and be with us now and forevermore. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.